Welcome to the VO2 Lounge podcast. In this episode, I will be talking about the most time-effective way of going about your gym strength and hypertrophic training plan. Strength training increases muscular strength, induces hypertrophy, and provides numerous other positive health benefits, including improved functional ability, cardiometabolic risk profile, and general well-being. Strength training is therefore recommended as an interventional strategy for the general population and not just to look buff. However, the majority of people refrain from performing strength training and other forms of exercise due to a lack of time or lack of enjoyment. The enjoyment side is sometimes overlooked by people and often people think it's just motivation or time. But often I find that people I know stop strength training because they don't see any gains from the effort they're putting in. The aim of this episode is to come to some kind of conclusion on the minimum effective dose of various training modalities. That being how little can you go to the gym and still show improvements to your health and your physique. The typical strength and hypertrophy program for untrained or intermediately trained adults involves training all major muscle groups with 2 to 4 sets, 8 to 10 exercises for 3 to 12 repetitions with 2 to 5 minutes of rest between sets carried out over 2 to 4 times per week. They can often include things like warm-ups, stretching, and both of these will make the training session push way over an hour in some instances. I aim to review the evidence as to how strength training can be programmed for optimum time efficiency. I'll also cover the efficacy of several popular time-saving advanced training techniques such as supersets, drop sets, and rest and pause training, whether warm-ups and stretching should be included in a program, and how much training is actually required to maintain strength and muscle mass. I'll start by saying that I am someone who chooses to optimize their strength training program as I personally don't like it too much and I prefer to spend as little time in the gym as possible, even if that is the detriment of some incremental gains. Have I choose to go, as it has always benefited me in my sports, rugby historically and now cycling, it makes me feel better and operate better in general and there's plenty of other positive outcomes around longevity. If you are someone who loves the gym and wants to spend two hours a day there, then that is fine, obviously, of course, not going to say it isn't. But there will undoubtedly be times in your life where you can't do that, and that is where these principles can help you. These training principles can also be used as a guide on how to not unnecessarily extend your training sessions. You may be of the opinion that you have to, train for an hour and a half two hours a day to put on size but it's not the case unless you are some elite level bodybuilder possibly before going any further i would like to get this disclaimer out of the way the content and materials featured or linked to in this podcast are for your information and education only and are not intended to address your particular personal requirements The information does not constitute medical advice or recommendation and you should not consider it as such. I'm not a medical professional and therefore not able to give medical advice. Now, with that done, let's carry on with the episode. Okay, so let's start with the principles of strength training and just the general jargon. Depending where you go, it can be quite confusing in some instances. We're going to have some technical uh, terminology here, but I'll try to define them as much as possible and help you understand the rest of this podcast and the rest of any other research you do outside of this podcast. So simply put, muscle hypertrophy is growth. It refers to the increase in muscle mass. 
You have skeletal muscle which connects to the bones by tendons and are responsible for movement. When you move your arms, when you move your legs, squat, it's quite obvious. They are responsible for the movement of your body. Bundles of muscle fibers known as myocytes make up the skeletal muscles. Each myocyte contains myofibrils that allow the muscle to contract. Myofibrillar, myofibrillar hypertrophy, however you pronounce it, refers to when the number of myofibrils increases. This causes the muscle to increase in strength and in its density. The muscle also contains sarcoplasmic fluid. The fluid is an energy resource that surrounds the myofibrils in the muscles. It contains adenosine triphosphate, glycogen, and creatine phosphate. You may, your ears may perk up when you hear the creatine phosphate, but we'll get onto that. And then obviously water. During a workout, more fluid moves to the muscles to provide energy, and that's where the pump comes from during exercise. Sarcoplasmic hypertrophy refers to the increase in the volume of this fluid, and it makes muscles appear larger but does not increase strength. For example, creatine, you may feel, well, look slightly fuller and that's mainly this fluid moving there. Uh, muscular hypertrophy occurs when muscle protein synthesis exceeds muscle protein breakdown and as a result in positive net protein balance in the cumulative periods. Well, sorry, in cumulative periods, so just over time. This could be achieved with both resistance training and protein ingestion which stimulates muscle protein synthesis and leads to a decrease in muscle protein breakdown so obviously resistance training and protein ingestion are important i don't know which one you could say is more important resistance training is vital for the actual stimulation of um, muscle growth but then the protein is essential for that rebuilding process and the more protein you have the stronger the stimulus and so on and so forth um, generally Resistance training involves training against a resistance that gradually increases over time. That's progressive overload. Most people will know this. The strain this places on the muscles causes damage to the muscle fibers, which the body then subsequently repairs. Repeatedly challenging the muscle is the way of causing them to adapt by growing in size and strength. People can train to promote muscle growth by focusing on strength training, doing a variety of exercises, and getting good quality sleep. People look up overlook sleep i have an episode all about it so why not check that out also an important note is um, isometric concentric and eccentric contractions now depending where you go you'll hear this quite a lot isometric is holding a pose concentric contraction is the muscles shortening and eccentric is the muscle lengthening um, and i've just ranked those in the order of stress on the muscle so holding a pose isometric least stressful uh, concentric which will be the push on a bench press it'll be the push on a squat it'll be the curl of a dumbbell curl and then eccentric is the most damaging so that is the way down on a bench press it's the way down on a squat and it's the way down on a curl so that's good to keep in mind because this is a key way of optimizing the program Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get on to training frequency and volume. A good place to start is with this training frequency and volume because considering it has the largest impact on how much time your training takes up in your week because, well, 
if you're in six times a week that's a pretty big commitment and then that that equates to volume if you're doing lots of sets on all those days in the gym then you are going to take up a lot of your week so the standard thinking would say that you need to be in the gym at least three times per week to see real gains in mass and strength recent-ish studies so like 2018 seems to suggest that number of days spent training is not the determining factor and instead the total volume is meaning that if someone can compact three days worth of volume into one for example they would see similar if not identical gains now obviously where this falls over is when it's not possible and that's why bodybuilders don't train once per week but for an average joe it looks like one day might be enough so that's why i've added that caveat in there I think number of days should be the a method of increasing your volume um, because you are now realizing that, okay, two days is not enough to fit in all these workouts. Or say you, it could also be a tool if, say you only ever have 40 minutes, not an hour, you go, okay, I've only compacted, four, I've compacted, these workouts into 40 minutes now i need another day to get these other workouts in Um, training volume and frequency is also heavily affected by your current training state age and your end goals several studies have demonstrated that performing only a single set three times per week is effective for increasing strength and hypertrophy and the american college of sports medicine acsm you may hear it as even states that performing a single set two to three times a week can be beneficial especially for older individuals and novice trainees um i can vouch for this as when i was way under trained in school say like mm, 14 15 years old obviously still a child um, i could barely do one push-up with horrific form um and in one week between the first um it was called circuit training, so like strength training work we were doing at school. And the next, I only fit in two sessions, really. And they were really kind of subpar. But I even saw in that small space of time an adaption to the point where I could actually do proper push-ups. Because simply, I was so under-trained that just a very basic stimulus twice in one week showed gains. Now, obviously, when you're young... You've got all these stimuluses to help you grow because of hormones and all these other things. And if you're really under-trained, it's a perfect concoction. That's why you get these people who are like in their 20s or late teens who start training and see these massive gains um, with no exogenous substances like testosterone or any kind of PID, performance-enhancing drug. is simply because they are in this ideal phase for gaining muscle. Um, there is also evidence that indicates that a single set training also can have a positive impact on on trained individuals. So this isn't just the case for untrained people. Um, Although the effect was suboptimal, key to mention that, performing a single set of 6 to 12 reps using a 70 to 85% of one rep max loading so a weight that is roughly 70 percent to 85 percent of what your one rep max is so the weight you can lift once um, 
for two to three times per week was identified as the minimum effective training dose to increase one rep max strength in resistance trained men. Um, defined as having a minimum of one year of resistance training. That is key. So these uh, resistance trained people had been training for at least a year. So they're not fresh. I mean, they're not like advanced by any means, but you know, any crazy responses that you would see in completely fresh people has been eliminated there. So the reason I've kind of included this is because the six to 12 reps of 70, 80, 85% of one rep max is kind of, although this is talking about a single set, if it works for a single set, then these are numbers that you can take away for your three set or four set training program. That's why I've included them. Um, the optimal number of, of, of sets is still quite controversial. Um, some authors advocate that it the necessarily of high volume, so the necessity, sorry, of high volume, so more than 10 weekly sets to optimize the hypertrophic response. Um, there's been uh, work that says hypertrophic gains across the, the pooled, well, sorry, so a 2017 meta-analysis that I found um, by Schofield et al. Um, stratified hypertrophic gains across the pooled literature for five, uh, less than five weeks, sets 5 to 9, 10 plus weekly sets, and the increases were 5%, 7%, and 10% respectively. So the reason that's there is these findings clearly indicate that although a high training volume here is superior to maximize muscle adaptions, it is possible to improve both strength and hypertrophy when training with a relatively low number of weekly sets. For this reason, performing at least four weekly sets Per muscle would be satisfactory. I mean, you could probably go lower, but I mean, four weekly sets is fairly small. That if you had two sessions a week, that would just mean you have two sets on the bench press for your chest and shoulders. You do two sets on squats and deadlifts. You could just do those three compound lifts. Do two sets for both of them. That's six total sets and you can go home and then come back another day and do the same thing. And in theory, you will see gains. Um, the, the inclusion of higher training volume should be determined based on the individual's like response. So if you do that and you don't see any responses, then obviously you need to go higher. But if you're fresh, you're probably going to see responses. Um, you know. You just then need to see whether the, and then when you reach that kind of plateau, you need to decide whether additional time expenditure is worth the potential additive increases in your muscular adaptions. And then, you know, you can just distribute these sets through the week as you desire, whether that's one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, determine on how much work you need to do. Okay, then moving on to kind of load weight and reps. Um, the traditional belief has been that adaptions following strength training are load dependent. With heavy loads, uh, moderate loads and low loads used to increase maximum strength, hypertrophy and muscular endurance respectively. Um, in general, a 1 to 12 rep range should be used with uh, attention paid on this 6 to 12 range to improve muscular strength 
the lower rep side of things being for strength and the higher rep side of things being for hypertrophy with the lighter loads 15 to 25 reps um, suggested for increasing muscular endurance sort of true but my takeaway on that is look if you're a cyclist this is probably the easiest thing to relate to people do this like low cadence work where they do like 30 40 rpm but you still do it for like 10 minutes have you ever seen someone do squats for 10 minutes straight no so even with a 15 to 25 rep range it's still kind of strength focused and that's why i think focusing on the 6 to 12 rep range is kind of is key i think if you you're going to get the best of both worlds by sticking between that that phasing and then you can maybe for four weeks do six reps or seven reps or eight reps and then push up to 12 reps to get more hypertrophy or 10 reps Uh, and then occasionally going down when you really want to hammer home the strength like down to three four five reps when you think you've plateaued need a little bit of strength and then come back to the hypertrophy kind of side of training and the 15 to 25 rep range i think is just pushing yourself towards what can cause injury it's kind of a lot of load on the body and you're doing a lot of reps and moving those joints a lot and i just think it's not why so 6 to 12 i think for any new lifters is a really good range uh, to stick to um there is kind of emerging evidence that indicates that similar hypertrophic responses occur across a wide spectrum of repetition ranges even when using very light weights as long as the training is performed with high level of effort and number of sets is equated. So effectively just saying that it doesn't matter what rep range you do, you can still put on muscle. And <clears throat> that can really be seen with things like um, training at home, bodyweight training. And if you are a real novice, that bodyweight training can really be a good gateway in so that you don't turn up to the gym, I feel like some people don't go because they're worried about how much they can lift. And you could start off with, at home work and get a weighted vest and progress and then turn up to the gym and you're already bench pressing like 60 kilos so yeah now next we'll move on to the exercise selection mainly compound versus isolation exercises um this is massive when it comes to saving time on your gym sessions and maximizing muscle growth but most people probably already know this. But if you don't, we're going to go into it. Um, there is a myriad of exercises to choose from when designing your strength training program. And I feel like a lot of people can get quite easily overwhelmed. On a very basic level, to um, strength training exercises can be divided into single joint exercises, which is an isolation exercise, an isolation exercise, and multi-joint exercises, also known as compound exercises. Uh, Single joint exercises are designed to target specific muscles. Examples include bicep curls, shoulder abduction, um, for example with dumbbells, and leg extension. The alternative being multi-joint exercises activate several groups of muscles at the same time. This is where they become more time efficient, which are always lifting of heavier weights as well usually. So you think... And just any really exercise that you are going to do isolation like a leg curl you just look at the numbers you're pushing and it is dramatically lower um, examples of compound moves 
include the squat, the bench press, barbell rows, deadlifts, and so on. It's kind of, if it includes a barbell, it's it's basically a um, compound lift. Um, guidelines state that the strength training program should include both single and multi-joint exercises, but recommend nations emphasizing multi-joint exercises as they are considered more effective increasing overall strength and daily life function. Um, some studies have suggested that hypertrophy occurs earlier following single joint exercises as these exercises generally are easier to learn and thus require less neural adaption than multi-joint exercises. Um, that's kind of clear, like it's kind of hard sometimes when you first start training to, to do squats and bench presses. It's easy to have a really funky technique with a deadlift, but machines isolation machines in particular tend to be quite uh quite easy to get get down because it kind of forces you to do a certain movement pattern um however strength uh improvements in multi-joint exercises appear just to be higher and more rapid than in single joint exercises thus single joint exercises could be provide little ad- added benefit from a strength standpoint this Thought only really stands up if you're comparing a leg curl to a squat and not a leg press. So, for example, if you're not a competing bodybuilder, this doesn't mean that you have to squat. Basically, if it's not, if the if the exercise is not part of your sport, aka bench press for powerlifting, um, then you can use alternative methods. So. Yeah, if you're using a leg curl isolation and it's going to, uh, you know, only really train that isolated muscle, well, you can move over to things like the squat and the leg press, which moves nicely onto free weights versus machine exercises. So, free weights versus machine exercises. Both methods both methods can be used to effectively to increase strength and hypertrophy and there is no strong scientific evidence indicating that either of the methods being superior to each other the main difference between the methods is that it's easier to stimulate sorry is easier to simulate real life movements and sport specific movements with free weights because obviously they're free and you can manipulate them into the 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 pattern you want in comparison to a machine um, which usually have limited adaptability of the movement pattern they use it's quite obvious there's a machine constraining you Um, however the variety of machines that is pretty vast these days with some allowing for training in a manner very similar to free weights Um, so take your pick really i i personally think at least long-term sport specific uh training routines is kind of overrated if you're trying to i think the purpose of the gym should be to stimulate muscle growth and strength and tendon health and all these other things and then there are examples of uh trainers using uh, things like the trap bar deadlift where they just do the concentric part so they just push off the ground explosively with a really heavy weight and don't train the eccentric they just drop the weight and do that like four times and it's shown to improve speed but if that's all they did it's kind of a hyper compensation technique which we'll go into at some point 
it is just trying to stimulate something for that sport in that moment. But long term, what is more beneficial is just putting on the muscle mass in the first place. So I think people sometimes overemphasize too much um, sports specific stuff. If you are a power lifter or something and there is no benefit to this exercise or you're a strong man and you don't do bench presses as part of your sport, then of course your sport is directly related to these lifts where the most sports maybe other than like say rugby with a line out lift where you're physically lifting someone up and kind of a uh, overhead press is sort of similar but still the important thing is is just to put on mass so you can lift the individual and then maybe you can right at the end of your set do a very specific workout but your training sessions at the sport when you do your practice lifts should be the specific training um, free weights are just really versatile obviously allowing for a great variety of multi-joint exercises which gain, again can facilitate time efficient training ses- sessions um, additionally free weights can be used regardless of body type uh, while machines may not be well suited to certain body types this isn't to say that certain body types aren't better suited to compound lifts but that for example a box squat can be used for a long-limbed individual who may struggle to do a full range of motion with a regular squat whereas machines can be a bit funkier i find uh, leg presses it varies from leg press to leg press some of them really fit me really nicely others really clumsy and awkward and in some places i've been i'll only use them for my isolation work like if i'm doing a single leg uh, press i'll use the leg press but then i'll go to doing uh, front squats which i prefer to back squats with a box um moderately low but i just don't see the need for me to go all the way down and put all that like just compromise things i just care about putting the mass on and you know i'll be flexible in other ways um, free weights can be more uh, intimidating as I've said before for novice users and the machines there's no real fear of dropping weights on yourself or you know with both the bench press and the squat arguably the deadlift because there isn't really a deadlift machine as far as I'm aware I mean you could use a smith machine but it'd be a bit weird um, that's the only kind of one where it's like the end result is you don't lift the weight whereas a squat you could get to the bottom and not be able to get up and then you have to learn how to bail out of it which is something i think people should practice with lighter weights or just don't do silly weights just stick to higher reps when you're learning um and the bench press obviously getting it pinned on your chest and it's even harder to bail out of um one method i've seen is you just never put clips on and so if you get to the bottom and can't get out you kind of roll one side falls off and then naturally the other side because it's heavy drags it off i mean it makes a racket it's not ideal so just don't overload the bar (laughs) um but in general both methods are considered safe if proper technique is used um, but machine exercises are often uh, perceived as safer than free weight exercises which require more knowledge and proper technique and sometimes may necessitate a spotter that's mainly for one to three rep max attempts, just PRs in general. If you're putting yourself in a position where you don't know whether you can do the weight, then have a spotter. Don't try to be a hero and do it without a spotter. 
Um, studies have shown that resistant trained participants are able to perform a one rep max lift with approximately 20% heavier loads during the barbell bench press compared to the dumbbell bench press. Um, when synthesizing when synthesizing the body of literature they've done training with a barbell allows for a higher total muscle activation and the ability to lift heavier weights compared to dumbbells uh, while dumbbell exercises can be good for training specific muscles and provide a freer range of motion which in some cases can be desirable it would seem that retraining with a barbell is more time efficient option you're just able to lift more weight um, I think personally that larger range of motion can be more compromising on the shoulders I've found um, it just puts quite a lot of strain on the, the barbell because of the fact that it hits your chest stops you kind of earlier and I feel like just in general it just hurts my shoulders less although what I have found is doing a dumbbell uh, bench press so the one gym I went to a work one only went up to 30 kilos and at that point I was bench pressing maybe I don't know 105 110 for five let's say and what I found was really useful was just for some reason doing that uh, dumbbell bench press kind of activated both sides gave me some good range of motion I don't know it might have been placebo but I found that I just lifted better after doing it so they do both have their place and then I get that kind of you know stimulation of each side of the body independently okay and with that again segueing into something else very bit quick bit on bilateral and unilateral exercises um due to the higher stability and more total mass involved training can be performed with heavier weights and higher force output during many bilateral exercises um, they're also more time efficient, as that's what we're talking about. However, unilateral exercises can be very useful um, in compensating for any muscle imbalances present. So bilateral, simply both limbs together, unilateral uh, in isolation. So like I've said before, I used the, or still use the leg press to do my unilateral exercises and dumbbells. And I think it is good to keep on top of any uh, muscle imbalances. Then, the split and full body. Various people over the years have said, oh yeah, um, you can't do split, you can't do full, I do split, I do full. Essentially, there is no difference from what I found. Both full body workouts and split workouts yield the same improvements when... um, normalizing for the exercise and volume so if you're doing the same amount of volume and exercises in a week it doesn't matter if you do bench press and squats on the same day or do them on separate days this means basically you can make your program however you want it to suit you Um, i personally have found that on a uh, two day training plan that I will put squats and bench press together and then say deadlifts and rows together and then some accessories like just some smaller lifts like uh, rows on a machine or leg extensions but then with a three-day program obviously a one-day program you have to you have to fit all of them in on one day but I found with a three-day program that I just basically split it up into a 
squat day, a bench day, a deadlift day. And what they effectively were was the primary purpose was to go in and do squats. And then I would have another compound movement, maybe a leg press, um, that supported the squat. And then another one, say, uh, also legs, that would be like calf raises. And then I'd progressively go down to less and less important exercises and then maybe end with a leg extension. And so that way I got the important one out of the way. I had all the energy for that one. And then progressively, if I wanted to leave at any point, I maybe only had leg curls and I was like, ah, who cares? And I think that stresses on an important thing to mention is that when you do a full body day, if you do bench press and deadlifts or squat and both of those are really taxing mentally and physically. And even if you physically can do deadlifts after squats, it just may be that you're just so mentally zapped from doing those heavy lifts or those long sets that you just don't put a lot of effort in. So I think if you are doing two days a week and you are doing a full body program, that you make sure that you just kind of invert them uh, every week. So maybe do squat, squat, then bench press, and then like a squat accessory, bench press accessory. And then the next week you do uh, bench press, then squat. And so you're swapping it around or depending where you are in the year, what you're prioritizing, just make sure that you are giving the same effort across all of them. Okay, then something to I alluded to earlier is the body weight training because it's so easy to do at home. Um, body weight training provides a time efficient alternative to traditional resistance exercise. Um, as this form of training can be formed almost anywhere at any time. First time, I think I was like 13 when I first heard about like just calisthenics and body weight training because uh, a YouTuber I watched who was a gaming youtuber um spoke about how he did it and he, he you could literally put something in the microwave or be making your coffee or something and while you're letting it brew or whatever you just smash out 20 push-ups or something and just maybe you're cooking and there's loads of different stages to the cooking you can just you know do 10 push-ups chop the onions do 10 push-ups chop the garlic and you can just fit it in around around your day so 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 easily um, there is a compelling evidence that a small number of upper body bodyweight exercises can be effective strength training alternatives, such as, this should be no surprise, pull-ups, chin-ups, and uh, push-ups. Uh, however, lower limbs become more and more of a challenge to target due to the lack of resistance. You've got more advanced movements such as pistol squats uh, that can be used, but it also requires a high level of flexibility, coordination, and is much harder to build up to than just a regular squat. Like by the time you get to the point that you can do a pistol squat, if you're not, I don't know, just naturally gifted in that movement pattern, I mean, you could be lifting so much weight on a on a squat. So I, I think it's uh, well, I'll get on to what I think. Um, in theory, bodyweight training could be effective for gaining strength and muscle mass, as these adaptions are obtained by progressively overloading a neuromuscular system in, irrespective of the type of external resistance. Like your body doesn't care where it's coming from, it's just resistance at the end of the day. Um, 
However, to make it even more effective, having weight, ve- weighted vests for pull-ups and push-ups and then some kind of kettlebells for squats could make it a highly uh, viable at-home alternative to the gym. Um, so that's that's essentially what I my takeaway is from it. If you, you can learn and master those exercises like the pull-up, the push-up, um, but at some point you're going to have to do like, you can maybe can do 30, 40, 50 reps of push-ups before you're really fatigued obviously i mean if you're probably an animal if you can do five sets of 50 in like 10 minutes on push-ups but you know you're going to get to the point where you need a lot of stimulus that's where like the eccentric like kind of just really slow on the way down and stuff can be really useful to stimulate growth but just getting a 20 30 kilo vest so like a i don't know 45 pounds for the americans uh, weighted vest um it's just gonna really help like if you can do 10 pull-ups with 20 kilos on you you're doing quite well and the same uh, for push-ups 20 kilos 10 push-ups you could turn that into a really good program and then for the lower limbs you can do things like lunges squats with a couple of kettlebells you can probably find used kettlebells online for not too much money and they're really easy to store like you could just have a row of them lying around somewhere in the corner of the house where obviously a squat rack bench press it's quite big and cumbersome and hard to kind of hide in a house so i think it is definitely a viable alternative to going to the gym okay so we've covered a lot so far in this episode i think and thank you if you're still here with me on this point Uh, so let's get on to rest periods let rest very similar to the number of sets and reps plays a huge part in determining the amount of time you spend training unfortunately also plays a critical role in optimizing your training for both strength and hypertrophy gains it allows the body to remove lactic acid replenish adenosine triphosphate and phosphocreatine i.e organic chemicals important for the muscular contraction the common guidelines recommend three to five minutes um, rest intervals when training to maximize strength and one to two minutes rest intervals when goal is hypertrophy simple as that if you're doing strength three to five minutes i'd say don't go past five minutes if you really are time crunched but there is also this thought Uh, like way of thinking that you just rest until you can lift the weight again if strength is your sole goal whereas hypertrophy is a bit easier one to two minutes make sure you can get the the actual reps in but yeah so on to the more advanced kind of training methods aka training modalities so supersets drop sets um Superset training, also known as uh, paired set training or compound sets, refers to um, the performance of two or more exercises in succession with limited or no rest between them. Usually the rest is literally just the transition. Um, In drop set training, training time is reduced by minimizing the rest between sets. Uh, The strategy involves performing a traditional set, um, reducing the load, then immediately performing another set. Um, or multiple sets Um, typically one to three drop sets are used with a 20 to 25 percent reduction in weight with all the sets performed to muscular failure so quite simply you know you could prepare this where you 
effectively make it so that you do your initial set and all you have to do is take a plate off say on the bench press from either side then you do another one take some more off do another one do another one and it's just i think it can be a good stimulus for new lifters like pyramid sets are another example i think are great for new lifters because you kind of get your warm-up done at the same time as getting volume in um so both of these have the potential to save time but i personally am not a fan of additional fatigue and think can make take away from the training um i think they are something to be used when you feel as though you need a little extra stimulus so maybe you've hit a plateau or i don't know you just really far along in your training program i think then then they can be quite useful for maybe the mental stimulus and probably there is a muscular benefit but I just think it's so grueling and so intense. Maybe if you have a training partner and you only train with each other once a month, then doing a superset then, because you've got the motivation of the other individual, can be quite entertaining and fun and like there's some camaraderie in it. Um, or if you have your PT once a week or once every two weeks, then I think that's a good time to do it. But just general training, man, it's un, I think it's unnecessarily hard for the general public, right? For just your average Joe looking to put on some mass, right? So that, that's my takeaway. Okay, so maintenance. This is a big one. People who go on holiday, you know, if you've really got involved into the strength training and the gym life, same as endurance athletes you get paranoid as to how like the fact that it's all going to wash away um and so what if you can't train arguably uh this should have come out maybe two years ago when covid happened uh, but it hasn't i'm here now doing it um it's not the only time training can become derailed uh, when training is discontinued, muscular gains are preserved for a relatively short period of time. We're talking less than three weeks. To me, even that seems quite long, but apparently that's what it is. Somewhere under three weeks. Um, but prolonged periods of training, ult- of detraining, uh, ultimately result in both strength losses and atrophy. So just, you know, muscle degradation. Um, however it can be motivating to know that strength and muscle mass appears to be maintained by even small doses of training Um, generally young adults can probably maintain muscle mass and strength by training with as little as one brief session per week while older adults probably need somewhat more weekly volume equating to one training session of three to four sets for each exercise may be sufficient to maintain muscular strength at least for some period of time Um, obviously this heavily depends on the individual, their activity, their diet, but provides a good guide. Uh, my takeaway really is if you do go on holiday, try to keep your protein intake as high as possible and just take on the whole press-up regime. If you're at holiday and you know, you're making some dinner or you're waiting for someone to, before you go out, you just get in a quick like 15, 20, 30 press-ups or whatever, or two sets or three sets. Or when you wake up, just a couple push-ups and just keep your protein intake moderately high, which depending where you go can be easier or harder. But that's a good way of doing it. If you're away for two weeks, even a month, you can maintain quite a lot. If it's something like three months, four months, six months, a year, because you know, you're dedicating a lot of time to something and it's just going to fall by the wayside, then essentially you just need to include one day a week where you get some training in 
however you choose to do that, one day a week, some upper body, some lower body, call it quits, and you should be able to maintain and then keep that protein intake high. Okay, so the final bit of all of this, warm-ups and stretching. Um, A warm-up is often recommended at the start of a training session. The warm-up is intended to prepare the body for the psychological and physiological uh, burden of training. The belief is that this will enhance performance and reduce the risk of injury. Warm-ups fall into two categories, a general warm-up intended to increase the muscles and the body's core temperature, for example, uh, 5 to 15 minutes of low impact exercise on things such as a, you know, a sta- stationary bike at like a light to moderate intensity. And then another example is a specific warm-up which is intended to increase the muscular activation and provide neuromuscular rehearsal for the exercise to be performed, for example, performing squats and light weights before progressing to heavier squats. Um, essentially a specific warm-up may help heavy one rep, one rep max lifts but it doesn't appear uh, to be essential uh, regular stretching is effective for increasing joint mobility but is also frequently promoted by trainers and in the media as an integral part of any training session to improve performance prevent injuries and reduce delayed onset muscle soreness now to me personally that is 100 percent accurate in the sense that that is what is pushed in so many places that you know strengthening is vital you do all this stretching and you'll never get injured again you will see better lifts you'll um, see less uh, doms delayed onset muscle soreness but this is what the kind of literature has to say the scientific evidence doesn't does not promote stretching either for improving performance or reducing injuries and delayed onset muscle soreness. In fact, it has been uh, established that static stretching leads to an acute loss of strength and power, so-called stretch-induced strength loss, and should therefore probably not be performed before strength training. To be specific, 30 to 60 minutes of stretching has been found to cause a 20% 2% on average acute strength loss, while shorter durations of static stretching result in approximately an 8% strength training loss. So that's something less than 30 minutes. Uh, and then also recent research indicates that regular stre- static stretching may impair chronic measures of strength and power. Um, it's important, uh, sorry, however, the impairment in strength and power primarily applies to longer sessions and not to short bouts. Um, so, uh, sorry, of static stretching. It should be mentioned that dynamic stretching does not appear to reduce strength. So what's my takeaway from this? Effectively, for your warm-up, um, I personally like doing them. If I've got an hour, I'll do 10 minutes on a static bike before I do any of my uh, lifting. But if you are constrained to 40 minutes or 30 minutes, don't really worry about stretching. Don't really worry about going onto the bike. Just simply get in and use, say, the, a pyramid strategy to warm up. Say your working set's going to be 80 for 10. Well, say it's on the bench press. You come in, maybe grab 10 kilo dumbbells, rep out 10, grab some 20s, rep out 10, and then move and just do those in quick succession then maybe some press-ups and then move on to the actual program because you can get those done in like five minutes and then once you're done with that 
you're probably ready. You do like 60 kilos for 10 and then get into your 80 kilo. And then this is why I think even better to do like isolated days in the sense of upper body, lower body, be if you've got say three days, because then you can come in, you warm up once the upper body, and then after that it's warm, it's ready to go, and there's no need to do a second warm up. Whereas say if you move down to your lower body, you may need to improve that uh, flexibility and that warm up of the muscles and the activation and the practice, the neuromuscular practice it's talking about. So that's another example, I think, of why it's great. And it was really interesting. I had heard it in cycling before that people do stretching and it actually reduces power output. And it looks like it's the same for strength training. Doing a long session of stretching or even a shorter session of stretching is going to uh, reduce um, this amount. And as I said earlier, it's mainly the longer sessions. If you just spend 60 seconds stretching each muscle group, then it looks like they're isn't uh, a detriment and then dynamic stretching is like leg swings doesn't seem to have a negative impact but essentially i think you can ignore it and maybe once a week if you do need to work on flexibility work on them in isolation to your um, actual strength training and if you do have say an hour and a half you could after a gym session when you're really warm maybe try do some of that stretching but it looks like it is not essential Now again, if you've made it this far into the episode, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you want more content like this, there are plenty of previous episodes to check out. Some include VO2 Max and how to get better sleep. But before you do, why not follow the podcast and leave a rating wherever you get your podcast from? It really helps to spread the show. If you want to suggest a topic for future episodes or want to get in contact just in general, then email me at the vo2lounge at gmail.com. And with that, I'll see you next in the next episode.